So we are uh, continuing this series uh, upon this rock that we started last week. And, and you might notice, again, a little shorter time of the sermon today. We kind of planned it that way. So, so kind of be ready this morning uh, as we go. You have your outline available, and you'll see there's several scriptures there. So just have your Bibles ready, because we are going to jump in. We're going to go through and, and flip through a bunch of different scriptures today as we kind of learn more about Peter and about who he is and kind of uh, and what we can learn again from him, the way he interacted with Jesus. But last week we started this series titled Upon This Rock, and, and we looked at Matthew 16 and this, this kind of base passage and, and base uh, verse, right, of, of this series comes out of Matthew 16, 18, okay, where it says, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Again, these are the words of Jesus. Right? When, when Jesus took the disciples up to Caesarea Philippi on this, uh, on this field trip, and, and he, he, he anointed Peter with this, this anointing, right, of that, that this is how I'm going to use you in the future, right? He anointed him as this, this foundational leader of the future church. And this is where he changed his name from Simon to Peter. And, and again, he says, man, you will be uh, the foundational leader, right? And, and we'll build this church, and nothing can stop it. And we, we still want to claim that same promise today, right? Nothing can stop God's church. And again, church is not about a building. It's not about any certain congregation. This is, a, I mean, God's church, right? And, and God's presence is kingdom around the world. And, and as we see this, though, that uh, we, again, this series is going to take us all the way to Easter. And, and we're kind of looking at the Easter story through, through Peter's eyes. And we see this anointing of God on him, um, you know, as, as Jesus, you know, says this over him and, and, and declares this about the church. And, but uh, yeah, I want to kind of, Today, look at who is Peter. Like, what did God see in him? Like, what do we learn about him and know about him from the scriptures, right? And like, why, why does God annoy him, right? Why not John or, or any of the other disciples, right? Like, what, what is it about Peter um, that, that, that God saw and that, that, that shows him to be this leader? As I said last week, Peter uh, is one of the 12 disciples. Okay, but yet he was not only one of the 12 disciples, but he was a part of the inner three of the disciples, right? Jesus spent time and, and, and anointed and poured into all, of, all 12 of the disciples, but he had his inner three of Peter, James, and John that he spent extra time with, that he took into, into different situations and taught, taught um, you know, uh, more intense, even a lot of times, lessons for these three men. And, and yet Peter was kind of, was at the center of almost everything that happens in the Gospels. And so, again, who, who is he, right? Like, like, what do we learn about him? And Peter is one of the New Testament biblical authors. He wrote two books in the New Testament, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Again, they're named after him as the author. They, they are a New Testament letter, just like a lot of Paul's letters are. Um, so, so who is Peter? Here's some things that we learn from, about Peter um, from the text. The so first thing that we learn, uh, we learn out of Mark chapter 1. So again, if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open with me to Mark chapter 1. Like I said, to just be ready, we're going to look at all these things as we look at these different things. And the first thing we learned out of Mark 1, it was that Peter was married. Okay, we see, learn this in Mark 1 verses 29 through 31. Again, Mark 1 verse 29, he says, After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever, and they told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, helped her to sit up, and the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. Okay, there's a lot of these passages. In fact, as we look at this, there's ones that we're not going to unpack. There's lessons in those things. I encourage you to, again, if God 
opened your eyes and said, hey, go back, go back and spend some time in here. But we're looking at these just to say, what do we learn about Peter from these passages? Well, we learn here, right, that Peter had a mother-in-law, right, which means he was married, right, and he had a, he had a house, right? And so he had this established, you know, life, right, as a leader of his household, and he was married, right? And, and we, we learn that about Peter. Okay, the next thing we learn, I want to flip over to Acts chapter 4. Um, so, right, just a few books um, after the Gospels, and next is we have Acts chapter 4. Um, in Acts 4, verse 13, we learn that, that Peter was not highly educated. In fact, this is after that the Jesus has died and, and resurrected and ascended to heaven. This is after he passed the baton of leadership on to the apostles, right, and, and which was Peter's leading. Okay, this is after Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit's come, the, the New Testament church has started, and, and then they've raised quite a ruckus. And this is where actually Peter and the leaders end up in front of the council, right? Because they're, they're kind of, they're drilling them. They're like, what's happening? What's going on? Okay, we see in Acts 4.13, it says, The members of the council were amazed when they saw the, the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. They, we see, again, they, were, they had no special training, right? They were not formally educated, but their qualifications in this time was that they had been with Jesus, right? And, and, and that came, right, with authority, and that came with power, right? And again, they were coming, they're like, how are you doing this? And they're, they're like, you're just normal guys, right? And they're like, absolutely, but they're normal guys that have Jesus, right? So they were not, he was not highly educated, and we see that Peter's at the center of that. Okay, the next thing we see in John 13, okay, John 13, this is a chapter where, uh, where this is at the Last Supper, okay, this is where Jesus washes the disciples' feet, okay, and again, we're going to dive deeper into this passage on Monday, Thursday, we're going to do a foot washing service this year, on Monday, Thursday is a part of Holy Week, we're going to look at this deeper then, okay, but here we jump into John 13, like I said, this is uh, where we learn, and this is one place we see of Peter's loud and boisterous personality, in fact, that's why Peter's in the center of all these things, because he is loud and boisterous, right? He just, he just opens his mouth, and he just says stuff before he thinks of it. And then he just kind of deals with the aftermath. We see here in John 13, uh, verses 6 through 10. It says, When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. And Jesus replied, well, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And so Simon Peter ex exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. And Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. And we see here, right, as Peter kind of blurts out, and he's like, no, you're not washing my feet, Jesus. And, and as Jesus responds to him, right, and he's like, okay, then wash all of me, right? I mean, we just see how he kind of goes so quickly from one extreme to the other. We see this, this loud, boisterous personality come out in Peter. Um, and notice how Jesus, I mean, Jesus handles Peter. In fact, he handles Peter all through the Gospels. We see that as, as Jesus continues to mold and, 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 and change Peter and, and his character and build who he was, right? Because we see he's loud and boisterous as he refuses to have Jesus wash his feet. And then, right, with just kind of one sentence from Jesus, and he flips clear to the other extreme, right? He's loud and boisterous. Okay, we also see a part of his personality we see in Matthew 14. Um, in, in Matthew 14, uh, this is, is the this, again, famous passage, uh, miracle when Jesus walks on the water, 
Okay, so this is again in the aftermath of feeding the 5,000, right? They're all out there in the boat. Jesus walks on the water, come out to them. Um, and we see in this story how impulsive Peter is. And again, we're not going to read the entire passage. I just encourage you, if you're not familiar with the story, to read it this week, to dive into that. But, but what happens, right? Jesus walks on the water, catches up with them. They see Jesus. Everybody freaks out, right? And, and yet they think he's a ghost, right? And it's in the midst of the storm and, and all that's going on. And yet Peter is the one that literally gets out of the boat. Right? He sees Jesus out there, and he's like, Jesus, if that's really you, like, I'm coming out to you. And he literally just jumps out of the boat, and he walks on water with Jesus, right? He's the only disciple that gets out of the boat, by the way, right? Because everybody else is freaked out. But yet he's impulsive enough to be like, I'm just going to throw caution to the wind, and if this is really him, I'm doing it, right? And he just jumps out, and he walks on the water. And again, then he also sinks. So, but again, you can Read the story if you haven't read it, right? But, but we see Peter's impulsive nature, right? The fact that he didn't stay in the boat. He jumped right in. Okay, I think as we look at, at Peter, we also see in Matthew 17, uh, if, we, if we go forward a, a few more chapters in Matthew, we see how, how Peter's full of ideas, right? And we have this loud and boisterous personality, this, this, this impulsiveness of him. And, and so he's, he's full of ideas. We see here in Matthew 17, this is where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. They go up the mountain, and this is known as the transfiguration. This is where Jesus literally transforms into his heavenly body, okay, in front of them. And they have this, this whole miracle experience. Um, some Old Testament figures show up, right? And, and Peter here throws out some ideas. So Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9. It says, six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. And as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. And Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. And the disciples were terrified, and they fell face down on the ground. And Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they, they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. And as they went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Again, we, what do we learn here? Again, there's, there's a lot here. We don't have time to, to jump into that. But what we learn about Peter, right, is he's full of ideas, right? I, I mean, in the uncomfortable situation, he's the one that opens his mouth. He's the one that, that throws out these different ideas, right? And you can just, I, I don't know, but I read this and I just see Jesus kind of rolling his eyes, right? Like, Peter, come on, buddy. Like, don't, just be in the moment, right? Don't, don't throw out, we don't have to do this stuff. And then we see also, um, again, that this leadership role, again, that Jesus appoints him to. And, and again, part of that, I believe, is this last we learned later in Matthew 17, uh, in verses 24 through 27, when we learn and know and realize that Peter is also the oldest disciple. Out of the 12 of them, he's the oldest one. Hey, not only he's the only one married, right, a household and all these things, but he's also the oldest one. We, we learn this in Matthew 17, verses 24 through 27. Where, where it says, it says, On their arrival in Capernaum, the collectors of the temple tax came to Peter and asked him, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Well, yes, he does, Peter replied, and then he went into the house. But before he had a chance to speak, Jesus asked him, What do you think, Peter? Do kings tax their own people or the people that they have conquered? 
Well, they tax the people they've conquered, Peter replied. Well, then, Jesus said, the citizens are free. However, we don't want to offend them. So go down to the lake and throw in a line. Open the mouth of the first fish you catch, and you will find a large silver coin. Take it and pay the tax for both of us. Maybe we learn this, right, and, and say, okay, how do I know that, Peter, or that Peter's the oldest one out of this passage? It doesn't say anything about his age. Okay, but I'll tell you what, we do learn that, though, and we can, we can we confer that from what does happen. Okay, because they came and they asked, like, hey, about the temple tax. Well, the, 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 the fact is this temple tax was only required for Jewish males who were 20 years and older. Hey, and, and notice... Who has to pay the tax? Right? Jesus tells him, go get the coin and pay the tax for me and for you, Peter. Well, the other 11 didn't have to pay the tax. Right? Which means they were all under 20. Only Peter and Jesus paid the tax. Okay, so he was the oldest disciple. So we, we see now he's the oldest disciple, right? He's He's the only one married. He's a natural leader. He's full of ideas. He's loud and boisterous. He's impulsive. He's a jump right in and do it now and think about it later kind of guy. For some of us, we can identify. Can't we, Clay? Right? And we see this about Peter. And so, but then the next question is, why did Jesus pick him? Right? I mean, Peter was a guy with lots of rough edges. Right? Peter was a guy who, who, who again, had, had a lot of of strengths, but a lot of weaknesses. And what, what did Jesus see in Peter, right, to, to, to anoint him, to give him this anointing of saying, upon this rock, I will build my church, and, and nothing will ever conquer it. What did he see in Peter? Well, I, I want to look at a couple of things that we learn and, and know about this, and, and again, and to say, like, we can see what God does with Peter, and, and it applies to all of us as servants of Jesus, too. Okay, the first thing is this, is that, that Peter was a project that Jesus saw potential in and he invested a lot into. Okay, Peter was a guy that, that Jesus knew was rough around the edges. He knew that he needed some refining and some maturing, right? But he also saw some incredible potential and he invested a lot into Peter. And, and Jesus knew that that investment would not come back void, right? That there would be a return on that investment. And Jesus entered into that, that, that process with Peter. In fact, Jesus calls him specifically. He calls all of the disciples specifically. In fact, all 12 of them were, were uneducated, rough around the edges, young guys. And yet Jesus saw potential in all of them, especially even in Peter. We see in Matthew 4, 18 and 20, where Jesus calls him out. He says, one day as Jesus was walking on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon also called Peter and Andrew. They were throwing a net into the water, and they, they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once, and they followed him. Again, Jesus saw something in, in Peter and in Andrew and all the other disciples, right, that nobody else saw. Right? And he was willing to invest in them. He says, Come with me, and I will teach you how to do something incredibly more important and, and, and way bigger than what you're doing right now. Okay, come with me and I will show you how to fish for people. Okay, this is an invitation by Jesus of saying, let, come with me and I will invest in you because I see lots of potential. 
And, and as we see, you know, again, the, you know, Peter was a diamond in the rough. And we kind of know that phrase, right? We know a diamond in the rough, but what that means, it means that right, there, there's a lot of work to be done, right, before it's really valuable. And if we think about what is a diamond in the rough, well, guess what? A diamond in the rough is literally just a piece of coal. Right? But a diamond is a piece of charcoal that handled stress exceptionally well. And Peter handled some stress. I mean, Jesus put him in those situations. And we see his personality and his character and all those things that get, that get molded by Jesus through this process. Right? And he ends up being truly the rock that the church is built upon. Right? He is an incredibly valuable diamond eventually, right? But Jesus had to invest in him first, and he did. And I will say, as we learn this from Peter, right, and we see this happen, the, the truth is that God sees just as much potential and has invested in you in the same way he invested in Peter. Okay, and when we look at uh, even just the gospel message and even just our salvation, again, we are saved by grace through faith, right? Our salvation is absolutely free, but it was not cheap. It is free to us, but it was not cheap. It was a very high price that was paid for your salvation. Right? We celebrated that day when we took communion, right? It was, it was literally Jesus' life that was sacrificed for you to purchase your salvation. And why would God invest in you that much? Because he sees incredible potential in you. Right? And God sees as much potential in you as he saw in Peter. Right? Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. That's how God sees you. You are his masterpiece, even with all the flaws, even with all the rough edges, with, with all those things. You are God's masterpiece. And he's created us new in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he's planned for us long ago. Right? And that's a big promise by God, but yet one that is 100% true. That you are God's masterpiece, and he has good things for you to do. Right? But he's got he's to mold you first. Right? He's investing in you first. Okay, the, the next thing that we learn... Um, about Peter, from Peter, right, about what did Jesus see in him, is that Peter was a guy that could offend people and got himself into some really bad situations. Okay, he absolutely was. He could offend people, okay, because he would open his mouth and he'd say things he hadn't thought of yet, right, and, and he would end up on, on people's bad sides, and, and, and again, Jesus saw that. I mean, this happened with Jesus, right? He got into some, some, some bad situations. I mean, literally, this passage we already looked at in Matthew 17, notice the motivation for the whole tax, Right? Jesus tells him, go do this so we don't offend them. Right? I mean, this implies right, that they were kind of on the edge already. Right? And yet, when we see that, right, we know that, again, Peter got himself in some really bad situations. However, we, it, what did Jesus see in him? He, he, Jesus was teaching him, and something that we need to know, right, that, that every weakness can be a strength, and every strength can be a weakness. Okay, that God chose Peter on purpose, right? And he knew that he could offend people. And he knew that he would, you know, open his mouth and insert his foot. And, and he knew that, that, that he was impulsive and all these things, right? He knew that about him. But he also knew that these were the exact things that God needed to use through Peter to accomplish the role that he had him appointed for. Right? Because you cannot be the foundational leader of a whole brand new movement in church without having some really strong strengths and a pretty boisterous personality. Right, but we need to know, and, and Peter was learning, right, and we need to learn that every weakness can be used as a strength by God, and every strength, if I use it for the wrong purposes, will become a weakness. 
Right? Every weakness can be a strength, and every strength can be a weakness. Hey, Galatians 5.13 says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. Right? But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Okay? So, again, you, we uh, followers of Jesus are, are called to live in freedom. Right? And our freedom has been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. Okay? That, that is true. But with that freedom comes responsibility. Right? Because what does he say in this verse? He tells us right, that there is a choice that has to be made with your freedom. Right? You can either use your freedom to satisfy the world and your sinful nature and take you down a very dangerous road, or use your freedom to serve one another in love right? and fulfill God's will and his purpose and build his kingdom, not mine. Right? And we have to use our freedom for the glory of God, not for the glory of ourselves. And that is a choice we have to make every single day as we live out the gospel in our life. Right? Well, how will I use my freedom in Christ? Right? Will I use it for myself, my own selfish gain? That's what my sinful nature tells me to do. Right? Or will I use it for God? Every weakness can be a strength and every strength can be a weakness. And we, can, we get to choose it. Right? We either submit to God or we live for ourselves. Okay, with that said, we see also, though all of this combined, is, is we realize that Peter didn't change who he was to fulfill his calling from God. He didn't have to change who he was, right? He didn't have to get a new personality, right? He didn't have different interests. Okay, all of a he'd have to change who he was. Now, he was absolutely molded and matured by the Spirit of God, right? And being, but being transformed and molded and matured by God's Spirit is very different than changing who you are. Right? He didn't deny who, how God made him. He didn't get a different personality. He didn't have to, to change you know, or deny his, his own story or his history or, or how God made him. Right? Is he just embraced that and then used it for God's glory. He did not have to change who he was to fulfill his calling from God. And in fact, we see here in, in the, the beginning of Acts chapter 2, this is, this is a very important passage of Scripture. This is Pentecost. This is when the Holy Spirit is poured out for the first time. This is where the, the New Testament church starts. In Acts chapter 2, right? This is where it's it, it not, it, you have the foundation of Peter and the apostles, and then it starts. This is when it starts, God starts to build it. Acts chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. And he, and he goes into this long rant for a, a whole bunch of verses and speeches about everything that's happening. And notice, if he did not have this loud, boisterous, impulsive personality, he would have never done that. Right? And he didn't change who he was, but God just molded it to be used for his glory. And as he did that, and like I said, and he goes on, I encourage you to read all of Acts chapter 2 if you've never done that. Right? Because he, he explains to the crowd what's happening with the Holy Spirit right? and all of these things. And what we learn about that is that staying committed to the faith journey will yield results. And results that will glorify our Father in heaven, not glorify ourselves. Yeah, in fact, we see as this all plays out, right, that, that Peter being staying committed to the faith journey and to being, being disciplined by God and being molded by him and, and, and claiming his failures and, and submitting to God's spirit and all those things, it ends in this ultimate result of, of him fulfilling this anointing that God gave him in Matthew 16, right, that upon this rock I will build my church because guess what, exactly what happens here is that anointing is fulfilled at the end of Acts chapter 2. Acts 2.41, it says those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. 
That is some rapid church growth right there. Right, but as we see that, right, how did that happen? It happened because of what Peter said. Right, because of his loud and boisterous personality, because he had submitted to God's spirit, because God had molded him right, to live into the anointing that Jesus put on him in Matthew 16. Right, and it all comes true in Acts 2.41. And, and you know, as we continue the series, as we walk into our Easter season and, and Holy Week and all that, we're going to continue to look into Peter's life and, and what did this process look like and what did he experience. And, and again, the majority of, of his molding and sifting and, and, and character build that happens in Peter happens during Holy Week, by the way. Yeah, and, and as we look at that, we're going to follow this journey, right, uh, and see everything that happens. How did we get from Matthew 16 to Acts 2.41? And what, what can we learn from Peter and from that process, right, to help us in our own journey and process? So these, these, these next messages, these coming weeks, right, as we, as we work our way to Resurrection Sunday, we're going to see everything that's in between Matthew 16 and Acts 2.41. With that said, is I just encourage you to think about, again, what can we learn from Peter? What's God doing in your life? What's God doing in your faith? What's God asking of you? How is he molding you? How is he challenging you? How is he, is he calling you to the next step in your journey? Okay, whatever that next step is, fulfill your purpose in Christ. Okay, maybe that next step is, is literally praying, accepting Christ as your Savior for the first time and joining the journey of faith. Right, because you've attended, and now it's time to take the next step of salvation. Right? Maybe that next step is being baptized. Maybe it's serving somewhere. Maybe it's, it's leading, right? Being, he's ready to mentor, whatever the next step is. And say, take it. Live into the purpose God is molding you for. Right? Submit to his spirit. And as we learn from Peter and, and how that process works, and, and again, we see that we seek the Lord on God. What is my purpose? Right? How are you going to help me to fulfill it for your glory and not mine? And as, as we say that, we look at that challenge, it brings us to my final thought today, and that is this. That God made you the way you are on purpose, and for a purpose. So following Jesus will transform you to the best version of yourself. Are you fulfilling your purpose? Are you fulfilling your purpose? We see Peter got transformed by God and by his presence and all that, you know, to be the best version of himself. And he fulfilled the purpose that God put on his life. Are you fulfilling the purpose God's put on yours? Again, I don't know where you're at in your faith journey today, but I just, I encourage you to move forward, to be more like Christ tomorrow than you are today. And that's something we do every day, right? As we live out our faith. It's not just on Sunday, it's also on Monday and on Tuesday. And when we hand out invitations and we go to Boise Harvest and we do all these things, right? Is where are we at with Christ? Lord God, we praise you today that you are our living hope. God, that you saved us exactly the way we are. God, you purchased our salvation. We don't have to earn it. We praise you for that today. But God, we also understand that once we receive you, once we join the journey of faith, God, it starts a process of molding and maturing and finding out who we are and who you are and just growing in our faith. And God, I pray Lord, that you continue to pour out that living hope in our lives and our hearts. God, no matter what we face, Lord, this next week as we strive to live out our faith, God, that you would bring us that living hope. Lord, that we would submit to your spirit, Lord, that we would grow in our faith and in our life. God, that we would represent you well in this world, God, shine your light and share your love. 
And God, that by us growing in our faith, God, we can show others what it means to be a follower of you and invite them in as well. God, help us as we go this week to live our faith, to be your church every day. And God, to help you expand your kingdom, God, to bring hope and light to a hopeless, dark world. God, we love you. We praise you for saving us. We thank you for molding us. And God, we pray as we go this week that you would guide our steps. Lord, give us the conversations, the invitations. Lord, that we can fulfill the purpose you have for us. We love you. We praise you. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.